Welcome to the Fuzzy Quality Podcast, Podcast. examining AI quality and testing topics and hosted by me, Adam Leon Smith. So today I'm talking to Dr. Christina Strobel. Christina, hi. Hi, Adam. Nice to meet you today. Yeah, great to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. So, so you're a digital economist, right? That's correct, yes. And you told me that you're interested in experimental economics. So can you tell me what all that's about? Because I have no idea. So to make it even a little bit more complicated, I'm an experimental behavioral economist. And I'm interested in digitalization and, uh, yes, actual people behavior. So your question was what I'm actually doing. So I conduct experiment to study human behavior. And how does the digitalization stuff coming in? So I'm actually interested in how new technologies and optimization influences our behavior. And that's what I did for the last six years. I conducted experiment where I changed um, some stuff and I looked how people behave there. I see. And you're working with AI as well. Yes, I'm working with AI, but I'm working more, I would say, with the humans. So I'm interested on the human part there, not so much at the AI part. Favorite economics is actually somewhere between the economics and between the psychology and decision science. And um, we actually study things like what do people perceive to be fair? And how much are they driven by, for example, greed? Um, and how much do they um, react to different settings, like risk um, settings and something like that? And traditionally, the economic uh, part of it always assumes that humans are quite rational calculators and they behave um, based on logic. But actually, we find out that's not always true. <laughs> and there it's where the behavioral economics um, comes into. Um, so people tend to make decisions um, that are influenced by a bunch of factors. And I'm interested in these factors um, if they are coming from AI or from automated systems. And so in my field, I'm one of the first um, researchers that looks on exactly how do we behave irrationally if we are surrounded by AI systems or if we make decisions with them. I think that has a little bit for you to understand from where I'm coming actually. That's starting to make sense. And can you explain more the economic side of it? I kind of get the the behavioral side and the psychological side and how technology can, can impact that. How does the economics come into it? So economics is actually coming into it by um, thinking about, um, for example, sharing responsibility. So I could be responsible for doing whatever or I could also kind of push the responsibility to another person. And that's quite interesting in the setting of AI and human behavior. Because if we have an AI or automated system there, then there's kind of a possibility to shift some kind of responsibility to the automated system or to the company that produced the system. And that allows to have some more wiggle room for the individuals. And that's actually the uh, interesting part there. So in the economic system, in the socio logic system we have, how do we actually then shift around with responsibilities and accountability settings? And that's actually the interesting part for economics. And that was more the topic part. 
What's actually there from economics is also like the methods and the testing, and that's also the experimental economics part. So the methods are used to research that um, questions. So I'm using data sets, I'm conducting my own data sets, I'm running experiments, and so the methodology is um, directly from economics. Okay, that's making a lot of sense now. I guess I've seen this in, in real life with, with AI systems and um, even just simple decision support systems. And I, I've read research about the degradation of human decision-making uh, when they're supported by a decision support system. Exactly, yes. That's... Yeah, is, is that the main way you see it influences human behavior? It degrades their decision-making capability or are there other ways? So actually, there's a bunch of ways how it can influence our behavior. There's, first of all, there's also the acceptance. So what do we accept? What are we not accepting when it comes to AI? It's uh, what we already talked about is the behavior. It's also about our risk-taking behavior. So there's a bunch of research on how we behave in different risky situations. And now we have a new situation where we actually not only interact with institutional agents or with other people, but where we now interact with an artificial agent. Um, and that's also just, yeah, where it matters. The kind of the real life situation I've come across with this is where um, forms are being pre-populated by machines with recommendations that humans then approve or edit and then approve. And I've seen that being a, a problem that people don't really think about when they're verifying new systems, because it's only really when you get into testing with real people uh, that you start to be able to detect that kind of problem. And what's more, you have to make sure that you have a really representative set of people because human behavior varies so much, right? Yes, definitely. You're totally right, Adam. You also mentioned this, the kind of pre-filled forms where you actually have a match, but people then sometimes react totally different than you expected them to behave, yes. And I suppose another example is the Uber self-driving car incident in the US where someone became so trusting of the car that they were just watching TV. And then I think a cyclist died in that incident. Yeah, that's right. So how do you go about making sure that you get that diversity of different types of humans involved in, in experiments in your field? So actually that brings me to the uh, experimental economics part. I already um, told you about that there are quite specific methodological um, you know, ways how you do it. One of them is to have quite a diverse field of, we call them subjects um, in the lab. Um, and we have either physical labs or we use online experiments. And um, we always make sure that we quite have a diverse um, mixed group there. Because um, you always, yeah, there's always a problem that probably you just have students there and that's not quite um, usable for the whole population. So what we're always aiming is that we have quite a proxy um, sample that um, is close to the whole population sample. And that works sometimes better, sometimes not that good. So, but that's always the aim we have. And even if we then have a look into the data, we always um, break it down into the different age groups and the different cultural background groups and then see whether that's there's the difference in the data. I see. Okay. So quite, quite structured. I think, um, I think it can be really interesting how humans change their behavior with AI, but also how AI might change yeah. its behavior with different types of humans. 
Now, I don't know how that, I don't know if that plays into your research at all, but, you know, I've talked to people before about um, collaborative robots and how they would be adaptable based on different types of, of human styles. So I guess, as well as how does AI change human style, there's an interesting field around how do humans change uh, the style of, of an AI. But that's probably a little bit further away because we've got all these problems around generalization of, of AI, right? I mean, what's, what's your view on the problems that AI has around being able to generalize? So actually, I think it's quite um, yeah interesting topic. So I'm thinking a lot about it um, recently because the, the challenge is how do we get from quite narrow um, AI systems to a more generalized AI system? And what do we need actually to get away from the product-focused AI systems to the more broad and generalized, generalized um, yeah, testable AI. And I think that's quite a hard challenge because we actually have kind of um, specific um, AI systems there. We use there, but we just use them for different um, situations and for different tasks. And so I think it's hard to see AI as just um, the AI because there's no such thing as a AI, it's always um, focused on a product and on a solution. And um, I think that's something to take um, into consideration when talking about AI. And it's also too important to understand that this is not what we can test them because we only can test them the product focus and the, yeah, the specific AI use cases, but we are not able to test the generalized AI, whatever it might be. I'm not sure whether you <laughs> get along with me there. Um, yes, but that's actually the generalization part. I'm yeah, that, so that's one of the big problems. I mean, aside from the technical problems in actually developing generalized AI, I guess um, you can only verify the behavior of an AI in a certain set of, of contexts and situations. And the real world isn't like that. It may work well in terms of an e-commerce recommender system or, or some kind of narrow use case, but trying to take something um, uh, that is more advanced than that and can generalize and, and verify that it is adaptable to different situations is such a huge amount of potential effort and such a huge investment. And of course, you, that's compounding all the other problems that you've got with verifying AI behavior. So I guess one of the biggest problems that, that we have in any kind of AI testing is, is what we call an Oracle problem. And that is a problem in being able to determine if a test has passed or failed. And that hits us all throughout the different stages of testing. If I take a, again, if I take a purchase recommender system, I don't know whether that's going to cause the right person to, to buy the product. I'm going to have to go and do all sorts of field testing to determine that in a way that I might not have to do with more explicit, uh, explicit logic or explicit systems. So when you put together the problems we have with generalization and the potential future scope of, of verification in AI in a wider context, with all the problems we already have around understanding the ground truth, uh, it's, uh, it's an increasingly complex area. But I think it's it's not only um, sufficient to look on the ground truth and to to kind to to understand what's actually going on there. I think it's 
actually a task that is quite hard to achieve. I would rather look on the AI system uh, as a socio-technological system as a whole. So actually, you have to ask, where is it used? Who developed it? Uh, what is the goal? Is it accurate? Is it, in, uh, is it consistent? Is it complete? Is, um, is it accessible? Is it usable for the actually question we ask? So I would rather start with, with these, um, yeah, having this big um, system in mind. And then I would probably break it down to actually go into the hardware, software, whatever um, questions and testing uh, frameworks, because you could test it and it could, val could be valid um, from the software code. But actually, if you use it for a wrong purpose, then it's actually not happening at all. And so I think the first step would be to actually have a look on the um, socio-technological surrounding where the system is used in. Yeah, I mean, machine learning is, it works on the assumption that the statistical distribution of the data it's been trained with is not only the same in the testing, but it's the same in reality. Uh, and as soon as you redeploy a system to a different group of people, a different culture, a different country, you're going to have problems. I think Amazon Alexa, for instance, I think it launched in Spanish about three years after launching in English. And I don't think they've done any other languages yet. And that's an obvious example because it needs to learn the different languages. But there are changes in the behavior of people uh, and different distributions of data across across the world. But, what, but that's my experience in terms of um, some of the aspects that change when you work with different groups of people. What is, what is your experience around human behavior and how that can affect it when you redeploy or repurpose a system? So actually, I think it's quite interesting to, to look on what do we actually want to achieve with the system. And that's actually quite close to human behavior. So I think we have to be pretty aware of why a system was developed. And human behavior, and it's also the wish to um, have a system, it's always um, a sign of human behavior. And sometimes um, there's also the, the desire to have some kind of um, vanished responsibility patterns there, because then it's not uh, that we decided, but the AI system decided, or the AI system told to do whatever. And so I think um, if you think about the human factor there, um, always ask or always be aware why was the system developed? Why was it um, used there? And actually, the next thing is to uh, have a look on who decided that a system was, was developed. Um, and I think it's also quite important there to um, be aware that the automated system is actually changing the socioeconomic ecosystem. Again, because it changes the, um, the settings that they're actually they're existing there. And it's like kind of a circle um, in which actually have them to look at what influences the decision quality itself. And the quality is not just like the metrics. The quality also depends on the ecosystem as a whole. And so I call them the three be awares. It's be aware why, be aware who, and be aware what is changing. Mm, that's, um, yeah, so the main stuff when we look on the socio-technological system as a whole. And then actually we can also go deeper and we can decide, okay, what are the metrics we actually want to have for the systems and what are the 
quality metrics the system has to fulfill. That's fascinating what you say about the circle and how the, the system changes the human's behaviors and then there's this circle of, um, of influence, if you like. I never really thought about that. I think one of the things we look at is concept drift, which is where the correlations change in the real world. And another thing is data drift, where the profile of the data changes that's coming into the system over time. So you have to revisit a system on regular intervals. I never really thought about the system influencing human behavior and then that influencing the system again. That's a really interesting uh, aspect of that. I guess it's a kind of concept drift. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I, what I meant when I went over um, at the beginning, that we probably also have to, to not only look into the nitty-gritty details, but actually to ask the bigger question there. So actually, what is um, AI? It's a transformation of information to action. And we, that's a quite plain definition of it. And then we have to look who is transforming what in what kind of actions and based on what kind of um, systems of what kind of AI. So there's actually a bunch of definitions of AI. Sometimes AI means just data mining or analytics. That's actually just looking into data sometimes. Then sometimes it means also statistical inference um, methods. Um, and sometimes it actually means testing or real machine learning and um, yeah, unsupervised learning. And that's actually also the stuff we should ask then. What kind of AI, if you call it that, so quite a, a large definition of AI, is actually used for what kind of action? Because it um, me to one of the topics I'm really, really um, into. That's namely the difference between causality and correlation. And I think it's quite important to understand, okay, what is actually causality saying and what is actually a correlation saying? And sometimes I see that these two um, definitions or these two views are not quite separated and also not from the, in the transformation from the information to the action part. So sometimes there um, I read papers or whatever, also like um, articles where the tool that is used is actually just for correlation or correlation analysis. But then in the end, there is a, um, causality um, result and that's something we have to really have a look at because it's it might sound like a needy greedy little um, academic stuff but it's actually important it's how do we come to our conclusions and for this we should actually also have a look on the systems that are labeled as AI and what are the conclusions that are um, yeah made based on that systems AI, there are elements of AI which do consider causality, but not machine learning, which is the biggest field. Machine learning is solely drawing correlations between observations. And I don't, I don't think people always understand that, but I think there's a, a real risk that as systems become more common and begin interacting with humans more and more, people increasingly perceive it as causality. Exactly. And that's where I we back at the loop. Um, that's quite a thing we should have an eye on. Because if we take a correlation for, causa for causation, then that changes our behavior again. And that also changes our view on topics and our probably acceptance and our behavior. It's quite nice to trust in data, but actually should kind of have our understanding of the data itself and what is data meaning and just a number is not helping anyway. 
at, at any point because you have actually to understand the data and you have to understand what's the number of seeing. So we talked about grounding theory a little bit uh, before the call. Can you can you tell me what that is? Um, so grounding is actually a topic I um, get into contact with uh, through a lecture by um, Holger Lüri, um, where he was talking about uh, the topic. And grounding is actually the degree of semantic world anchoring. So it means actually um, how is the system how is the system understanding the world? And you could break it down into three sub-dimensions. One is the functional role grounding. So the system knows on a functional um, perspective what's going on, is a causal grounding, and it's a social grounding. And uh, one thing that was quite interesting for me there is there's a poor symbolic understanding, so-called syntax, it's not sufficient to acquire meaning, which means semantics. So even if we are quite, have quite sophisticated systems, it's always just like the syntax that is working well, but there's not a semantic behind it. And so that's going, that's going a little bit into the direction of the actually, will there be a real AI, um, artificial intelligence? And it also goes in the direction of the Chinese room argument. So Adam, I'm not quite, uh, I'm not knowing whether you're familiar with the Chinese room argument there. No, go on, explain it. It's actually that a um, digital computer uh, cannot be shown to have a mind or understanding or consciousness, regardless of how intelligently or human-like the program might be or might behave. So even if we have a, a translating system that is quite translating perfectly, it always bases on the syntax because it has a quite good understanding of the syntax, but not of the semantics. And what we currently have is a kind of indirect crowding. So the machine translation systems um, actually learn from text corpora that is provided by semantically crowded speakers, mm. namely us as humans. And the thing I'm quite interested there is, will it actually ever be possible that an um, automated system could have all three dimensions of the grounding. So like the functional road, the causal and the social grounding. And I'm not sure about it, but actually I would like to hear your opinion. About That's it. pretty cool stuff. I guess one thing I was just thinking there is, can the, will AI systems be able to influence human behavior without that semantic grounding? I think I was reading a fiction book recently, and I don't often quote fiction books about AI, but um, someone was using a generative adversarial network to create both sides of a news story, to create fake news, but aimed at different, um, different factions, if you like, so that it would stoke both sides of, of the, the tension in society. And it was able to do that by optimizing um, what people were clicking on and things like that, things it was able to observe and have this huge impact on society without actually having that semantic understanding. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic. I definitely agree with you that it has an influence on our behavior and also on us. And I think also we are tempted to 
or think if there's a perfect great syntax, like a pure symbolic understanding of whatever topic, we try to assume that there's also some semantic behind it. And I think that's a topic we should be quite clear to understand and also to think about. Or um, yeah, because until now we're not we're not familiar that there's actually a difference. Because if we're just used to if there's a syntax, if a person speaks perfectly well, then probably she also or he also um, yeah requires uh, has meaning behind it or has some kind of of partial crowning or social crowning. And I think now with an AI system, so with a, um, there, that might be the case in, in, at some point in the future, at least now at the moment, it's not. And um, we have to be aware of that because we attempt, we attempted to not making a difference there. That also goes back to the research I did um, on shifting responsibility when deciding together with automated systems or AI systems. Because we try to assume that there's some kind of um, crowning besides just the syntax. It's really interesting. Um, if any of your papers on that topic are in the public domain, uh, it would be great if you could you could send me a link and I'll, I'll add them to the show notes as well. Yeah, totally happy. So you could also have a look at my homepage. It's christina-strobel.de and there you could also find the uh, work and also my papers to download if you're interested. Fantastic. And you're also a, a fellow of For Humanity, like I am, uh, Christina. So I'm not going to talk about that too much now, but um, I'll be having someone from For Humanity on a, a future podcast to, to talk about that. Great. Well, listen, thanks for coming on the show, Christina. That's been really good chat. Um, thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you, Adam. And yes, it was a pleasure. And I wish you all the best with your podcast and also with your work. Thanks, Christina. This was Adam Leon Smith recording the Fuzzy Quality Podcast. And in the next episode, I'm going to be talking to two more researchers from Germany about smoke testing machine learning and their experience trying different testing techniques. See you next time.